We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we work and learn, and pay respect to the First Nations peoples and their elders past, present, and future. We're recording on Gadigal land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to The Green Room, a euphony podcast and powered by Yamaha headphones. I'm Tiana Speda, your host, and can you believe it? We've made it nearly to the end of another weird and very wild year. Definitely not a normal state of affairs by any means throughout this year. Yet here we are. We've done it. I don't want to be that guy and say when the clock strikes midnight on December 31st, it's all going to reset and be amazing. But damn, it is nice to dream that 2022 is going to bring some much better days for all of us. Well, one huge bright thing for me in particular this year has actually been hosting The Green Room. I took over this podcast at the end of May and it definitely wasn't something I'd planned or thought I'd be doing, but by some very fortuitous series of events, here I am, here we are, and to celebrate some of the fun times I have had on this podcast, as well as some other memorable Green Room moments before my time that was still in 2021. Today is a big wrap up of some Green Room highlights that made us laugh, cry, and maybe more. I know secretly there may have been some snorted laughter from me that I tried to mute over multiple episodes, but I have been so fortunate to have been able to come on this roller coaster of emotion with you all along me this year. Well, this is a two-part special, so in the first part that you're listening to right now, I'll be revisiting my musical guests from 2021, both Aussies and internationals. And part two, which you can listen to after or before, however you're listening, whatever, do your thing. But part two, we'll head back through some actors and comedians I've had a chat to, my two COVID-19 music industry specials, and we also have a lightning round green room question bonanza to close it all out. Now, before we get too deep into this wrap-up, I will just quickly recap last week's episode, as I always do. My very last interview for The Green Room in 2021 was with Kurt, aka the guitarist for Aussie Icons' The Butterfly Effect, and we got to have an epic walkthrough of the current new phase for the band. It's all sounding extremely healthy and exciting in Butters HQ, and Kurt had some pretty awesome things to say about the past, the present, and the future for the band, including news there's an imminent new single on the horizon next February, So Butterfly Effect fans, keep your ears out for that one. For now, their latest track, So Tired, is out and about now. Tired in name, but entirely untired in nature. That's very hard to say quickly. But definitely grab a listen to So Tired if you haven't already. Also grab a listen to the chat. But before you do do that, let's get on to today's proceedings. Grab a beer, grab a pet, grab a loved one. Whatever makes you happy, get comfy and join me in a bit of green room memory lane for my last episode for 2021. For some backstory, when I stepped into the role as host for the Green Room podcast back in May this year, which feels like about 10 years ago, little did I know I'd be undertaking much of the series remotely during some substantial lockdowns, while also simultaneously interviewing some of my heroes and some new friends along the way across the space of 31 regular episodes and two COVID-19 music industry-centred specials. From Jimmy Barnes to Duran Duran, Emily Hampshire from Schitt's Creek fame, and even that's what I reckon, this year has been stacked full of some amazing stories, laughter, and some pretty poignant moments as well along the way. 
But to begin the 2021 wrap up, as many of you will know, the green room started the year off quite differently indeed. So first up on the green room's end of year wrap up, let's take it back to the start of the year and Long-time listeners of the podcast will know, but for those who don't, the Green Room podcast in 2021 kicked off with longtime former host Neil Griffiths, who had also been hosting this podcast, including in its former iteration as the music podcast since 2017. Well, in 2021, Neil hosted an amazing 15 epic interviews ranging from frequent Green Room guest Amy Shark to some huge local and international names. He kicked off at the start of the year with Tash Sotana in February, speaking about their new album Terra Firma. Before the likes of The Offspring, A Day to Remember, Daniel Sloss, Kings of Leon, Adam Hyde, Alan McGee, Dean Lewis, Rob McElhenney and Charlotte Nigdeo dropped by as well. Also during February May this year when Neil was hosting, UK comedian Ezzy Izzard dropped by the green room to discuss some problems with politics while also confirming she intends to return to stand-up comedy and making films, but only following a significant move into politics. See, the problem with politics is it, it seems really complicated, and that's the truth. Life and politics is as complicated as it looks. That is the truth of it. I mean, you know, coming out as trans back in 1985, 36 years ago, um, and, uh, and people still... Some people still have difficulty getting their heads around it or, you know, all I'm saying is, you know, this is me. I know, uh, I believe it's genetic. I have the gift of uh, extra genetics, boy and girl genetics, as we all do, but to a different extent. And I've just been honest about it since 1985, 36 years ago. So um, most people go, okay, live and let live. And some people don't. And they, they just go off on the deep end. So. Um, we hopefully move forward. 21st century, we've got to be getting more positive, have a positive attitude. It's uh, Glenda Jackson, as you all well know, uh, went into politics for 23 years and then came out and then carried on where she left off. So that's exactly my plan. How long I'd go in for, I don't know, but you can't leave it to the extreme right in, in politics. There's you know, a number of the people who get in. I think they work out that being in the, on the extreme right is so much easier than being a moderate, uh, someone who, because, you know, politics being really complicated, it's much less complicated on the extreme right because they can use the tool of lying. But I have to go in because I'm a radical, but a moderate. I do radical things with a moderate message. And, uh, but I, yeah, I have to go in and then I'll come back out and uh, I will continue to make films, do drama and, uh, and do stand-up. Meanwhile, a bonus episode of The Green Room saw Neil spend some time with the legendary Bob Odenkirk amid Bob's first ever foray into a leading role in an action movie in the 2021 action mystery thriller Nobody. Critics praised Bob Odenkirk, stating he has what it takes to be an action star, but as Odenkirk told Griffiths back in March, he also intended to bring realism to the action movie trope. I wanted to play a lead character that was as relatable as possible. It, it, you know, a lot of the action leads of the last 15 years, and they're great. I love Jason Bourne, but you know, to a great extent, Jason Bourne is on autopilot. Even he doesn't know that he has these skills. It's sort of like, you know, it's a great conceit and it's a fun movie. I love him, but you know, he clicks into action gear and he's kind of a robot that kills. Um, but I wanted to play somebody who when he punches somebody, it hurts his hand. And when he gets hit, he he's bleeding and it, it doesn't just hurt for a second, it, it keeps hurting. Mm -hmm. And uh, so yeah, relatability was really what I thought I could contribute to this genre. 
Also, a hugely popular episode of The Green Room in 2021 was a chat with the legendary Incubus frontman Brandon Boyd, with Neil Griffiths and Boyd chatting about some of Boyd's original artworks being displayed in Sydney back in March, and also plans for Incubus amid the pandemic and the brave new world of the modern musical world. We've been doing weekly um, band Zoom meetings for the last like year or so, mm. and we put out EP um, in April of 2020. It's called Trust Fall Side B. And we had a single, two singles actually, that came out on it. And we had this big US tour planned with a band called 311. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were going to do these big sheds, these big outdoor amphitheaters. And the, like the tickets were on sale. Like, and they were, it was like happening. And then it was just basically just like a giant, it was the universe taking a big hatchet to our plans. You know, so everything, it wasn't even just postponed, heavy quotes, it was just straight up canceled um, with no indication of when we'd be able to make up the dates. So there was definitely a mad scramble, not only from us as a band, but I think all touring bands were just like, like you said, what the fuck do we do? Mm. Um, the last thing that we, any, we or probably any band would want to do would be, you know, be the vector for some kind of a mass spreading event like a super spreader event and concerts especially the way that we like them to be uh are super spreader events you know what we're trying to spread is is love and consciousness and um make out parties and things like that but not not viruses not diseases (laughs) even beyond covid the the world is changing so much and the way people are consuming music you know as evidenced by tiktok it's like it's changing so fast that you know the I think if you're over 30, you're going to struggle to keep up with the, the next thing. Um, I spent the last like two weeks desperately trying to understand NFTs. And I think I'm starting to get a grasp on it a little bit. Um, I'll probably like come around to understanding exactly what it is and how it works right when it's done. And comedy fans got a huge treat in March with Neil Griffiths joined by the legendary Bill Burr ahead of his virtual stand-up show for Australia and New Zealand to talk about performing stand-up during the pandemic. It took one show of of being in front of cars to then be like, to just you just ears adjust like, oh, this is what killing sounds like now. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. The first night I did it, I was like, this is like, I felt like I was just doing my act inside of a closet or something. Um, then they did things. They started giving people like noisemakers and stuff, which before all of this happened would be unbelievably annoying. And one of the worst things that could happen to be give the crowd like noisemakers. And then that just connected with them. And uh, it's a weird thing where with stand-up comedy, you're always listening to the crowd, whether you're even aware of it or not. And after a while, it becomes this autopilot thing where you're you're speeding up and slowing down, getting louder, getting more quiet, less aggressive. You just feel more aggressive. You just you know you're just feeling that that's this push pull thing the whole time you're up there. So to not be able to hear him, that yeah, that was tough. But it just all just sort of adjusted to people in cars. So now it's like, oh, I can actually hear a muffled left. Oh my god, I'm killing. For those playing along at home, Neil Griffith's final episode of The Green Room took place on the 21st of May. He finished up with Luke Steele of Empire of the Sun and the Sleepy Jackson fame, diving into Steele's new H3000 project and also touching on the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic was having on any potential Empire of the Sun future plans. 
and Q May 26, 2021. That is where I stepped in and the second chapter of The Green Room kicked off. Now, across 31 episodes this year and two special COVID music industry editions, I've had a whirlwind of lockdowns, technological nightmares, and most importantly, a heap of chats with some really incredible people, some personal heroes of my own, some new heroes, and also ranging from the musical, acting, and comedy worlds, as I always say in my introduction, but it's true. So to kick off a look back at my 2021 Green Room experience, here's some highlights from my chats with bands and artists on the Green Room this year, starting with my Australian musical guests. 2021, and obviously arcing back to even 2020, the 24 months we've all experienced have certainly been taxing, tenuous, and downright frustrating for everyone in their own unique ways. Yet somehow amongst the ups and the downs, bands, artists, and creatives have continued to release music. Some were even lucky enough to play gigs or go on a tour. And for my first ever episode of The Green Room this year, I spent what I did not realise would be a rare moment in person interviewing people when I had Tim Rogers and Davey Lane from You and I drop by to chat about their first new studio album in over a decade. Well, uh, if one thinks that it's fun having an album out at the age of 21 or 31 or 41, having one out at the age of 51, speaking personally. David, are you 41? I'm a 41 in one year, so I'll... I'll I would decide to put one out when I'm 40. Oh. And that's uh, that's quite a bit of fun. But yeah, It's really good fun from yeah. uh, when you feel yeah. proud about something and doing um, actually people showing an interest and, and asking us to, to do it. Um, our bass player and manager, Andy, when he calls me and says, bro, we've got a mate, I think, oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> Where have I fallen over or... Uh, and we met in this hotel room in Brisbane. I was so nervous. I even dressed up for the occasion. And <laughs> he sat me down and said, bro, just want to say thanks for all the, the work you've been doing and, and uh, doing the promo. Everyone's really happy with it. Uh, so when then my shoulders dropped, ordered a quick cocktail. Of course. And I, and I said, well, seriously, right, that, that anyone and that people have shown an interest and, and being so lovely about it. From that moment on, I was joined by a dazzling array of artists, many of whom were local Aussies. Producer Emmo instead, aka What's So Not, embraced the unexpected calm and collaborative possibilities the pandemic times led to. Yeah, it's been nice to be here and be quite present here. And there's people I've crossed paths with a little bit over the years that I'm spending a lot more time with. And mm. there's, you know, getting introduced to new people, whether they're insane photographers or designers or fashion labels I just did um a collaboration with Wright Hill over here in Perth and we did this free show for like less than 150 people at the store the other week and I did like a did like a two-hour freestyle DJ set just to 150 people just just for fun you know and um stuff like that is so cool and there's a real difference as an artist when when you do a show that's for free you can do whatever you want. You can play whatever. Like, I think I played one of my own songs. Wow. Because no one's paying to see me. No <laughs> one's paying. They're not like, I paid to come and see you. I want to hear blah, blah, blah. We won once like, or not. <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, no, you didn't pay anything. So this is the show for me. And I'm going to play you some really cool shit that I love that, you know, people have sent to me. And then we're all going to enjoy this together. Yeah. Not to say I don't enjoy playing my own music. It's just like. I like to do both. I like to just be a DJ. Like sometimes I would just like to be hidden in the dark, just playing songs to people 
without like or wearing like a hood over my head or a mask <laughs> or something like I just like DJing I like watching people honestly react to stuff and I think once you have an artist profile and there's an expectation it's almost like a a false representation of how they might be feeling towards something yeah, you know yeah, definitely so it's cool it's cool to just go into a space like that and just play whatever for Perth indie poppers San Cisco, I actually caught them in person mid-tour earlier in the year just before things started to take a turn once again in the 2021 phase of the COVID pandemic. And while we did get to chat everything about burgers on the Gold Coast, always go to Eddie's kids, to why they actually love creating music as a band. But when talk turned to songs they were keen to play live, their leisurely hit flaws from their 2020 album Between You and Me did come up in conversation and Geordie and Scarlett from San Francisco also revealed how the hit song had unwittingly gone missing in action for years prior. I think they're like, they're hungry for it, mm. <laughs> to hear them live. Like mm. Reasons goes off. Yeah. And that's, um, yeah, because we haven't been, been able to see what the reaction is to that live. Mm. And that's just like, yeah, we could never have predicted how much it would go off in a live yeah. setting. Mm. I think, great. yeah, it would have been interesting to see Reasons, Reasons before it got in the Hottest 100 and seeing it after. Yeah. Mm. But I feel like, it, yeah, that song was always going to be a bit of a banger. Yeah. And Flaws. Yeah, and yeah. Flaws. Hearing people sing along to Flaws and that's like such a slow, ballady one. Mm. That's a bit more of a slow burn, I reckon. That one, I think, yeah, because it's been out for a while. Yes. People get around it more and more. Yeah. Well, on the topic of Flaws... Am I correct that that song was actually, it was done a fair while ago and it didn't actually make the cut for the water at the time. Is that correct? Yeah. So mm, I don't remember Geordie. Geordie reckons he showed it to me. Yeah. What I'd What do you reckon? Usually when I show Scarlett songs, yeah. she just like shuts off. <laughs> it was probably just like a verse and a... Yeah. No, it was a whole song. <laughs> it was No, pitched. and then you, you had five years to make it, it perfect. It was a whole song and I played it for ages. Mm. But it wouldn't have fit on the water. No. And and I See, think I knew. Nah, and but it was also our producer. I showed him, and he was like, "Eh, whatever." Mm. And then it wasn't until we were like in Mullumbimby, recording towards the very end of doing this record, and I was like, "Can we please try this song that yeah. I've been trying to get on the record?" And and I was like, "Sure, right? Is it finished?" He was like, "Yeah, it's been finished for, <laughs> for ages." <five> years. <laughs> and we just recorded it, and. And it was done. I was like, okay, well, that's another one. So then what else should we do? Mm. And mm. Um, I think it just slowly, like, grew on Scarlet because I used to play it after. Yeah. I used to play it as, like, the last song of the set and she yeah. was just like, what, what did you say? I said, it sounded like a, uh, like a like angry singing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. But, but I love the way it's recorded. Speaking of songs going missing... Legendary frontman Brian Canham of New Wave Aussie icon Pseudo Echo had a legitimate loss of some songs, but on a very big scale. When the group suddenly disbanded in 1990 on the cusp of a planned fourth album that had already been demoed, the original master tape was missing in action, seemingly never to be heard again, and also nearly lost not once, but twice. Yeah, it's quite an experience because I'd kind of, um, I'd given up on it. Uh, I mean... You know, back in 89, you know, I was requested to send in some tapes for, for they were initially written for the fourth Pseudo Echo album, but then because there was a surprise element in our last meeting where the band just dispersed and that was the end of that, um, I was then sort of 
notified and and, uh, um, and requested this, you know, my songs that I had written for the fourth album. So they were considering it for a solo album, I guess, um, and that seemed to be the consensus. So there was a, sort of some urgency to it, I guess, while while the uh, striking while the iron's hot, so to speak. And so to waste no time, I just grabbed my one and only master tape. I don't know why I only had one, but, um, well, I thought I had one, and um, rushed it into the office and said, look, can you guys duplicate this? Um, but it's my only copy. Do not lose it. And I was reassured it wouldn't be lost. Mm-hmm. But, um, however, after a few days when I tried again to get the tape, you know, I was sort of fobbed off a bit and then, you know, weeks, months, and the literally years and I was still calling every now and then but then I just gave up on it it was just gone I I don't know where it went how it got lost or anything but it was lost so this is like several years of my work that I'd written um you know in anticipating this fourth album so I just moved on I got into production and different different field in the music biz and um fast forward 30 odd years um Occasionally I would remember some of those songs, little bits. I'd just sort of be on the piano and I'd start playing it. And Raquel, uh, you know, with her manager ear, would always be going, what's that tune? That's that's a great song. And um, I'd say, oh, this is one of the ones that I've been telling you about that was lost, so I can't remember the rest of it. I don't have the lyrics written down. So this went on for a while. And then one day, you know, it was another song I was playing, same response, you know, pops into the room, quick, what's that song, you know? And um, then we got talking about these, the tape, and, and um, you know, Raquel said, are you sure you didn't back it up or anything? I said, oh, look, I, I didn't back it up because I would have it now and, and the songs would be with me. And um, I said, but it's not like me not to back it up. But I don't think I did. And I don't have it and I can't find it. And then she said, what about that big box of tapes we found while we are moving? <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah. Okay. But there were a lot of cassettes in there, lots of cassettes. And, and ironically, lots of them were master tapes. They were labelled, the word scribbled on in terrible handwriting, master and not much else so when you find you know 20 tapes written master tape you still you still got a bit of a challenge ahead of you so you know we got an old tape deck hooked it up and then for the next few weeks I reckon we went through songs and then just one day one of the songs that I wrote the first song I think was called just your day came on and I just went oh my god this is this is the song and then you know fast forward here's another one and then fast forward again here's another one so we listened right through it and um, then we were, we were talking about it, what to do with it. You know, Raquel said, you have to release this. Year. It's, it's, in, it's gold. It's a time capsule of your band's history. And I said, oh, no, I'd have to re-record it all and it'll take me forever. And, and, and then, you know, Raquel said, really, oh, no, no, it's got to be like as is, you know, authentic. Um, meanwhile, the tape is rewinding at this stage, the cassette, you know, and that's all good. And all of a sudden I look at it and I see one of the spools stops. And the other one's still going, and, I, and that's not a good sign to look at a cassette deck if that's how they should go together. So I quickly hit the stop and ejected it, and then and the tape was <clears throat> basically ingested into the machine. You know, I, I, it was an old machine. I didn't even service it before I played it. I just grabbed it. And um, we managed to, to sort of painstakingly get the tape out, use the old pen method and scroll it, you know, get it back into the cassette without any creases or breaks or anything so it's a miracle that we saved i can't believe we did after you know what what you know it's a very fragile tape so we pretty much straight away got it digitized and uh didn't take any more chances with the cassette deck and um it's it's that's it that's it we just we just remastered it to get the level up and get it all consistent 
Mm. We didn't change anything. We couldn't mix it because it was already mixed. And and they're, they're, they're you know they're, they're rough, but they're sort of highly produced rough demos. Oh. So uh, it is what it is. The found pseudo echo tapes would of course go on to become the band's latest release this year, 1990, the lost album demos. Meanwhile, for Brisbane dance duo Mash and Kutcher, aka Matt Minor and Adam Morris. The fusing of a metal drummer and a classical pianist has taken the world by storm, especially after their COVID-19 Aussie anthem we didn't know we needed called Get On The Beers. But while the pair are renowned for their reworking, sampling and their epic skills on the decks, their flair for lovingly trolling their crowds, replacing typical beat drops with tracks like Vanessa Carlton's A Thousand Miles or a niche Australian tile ad has led to infamy all around the world. I think the, the yeah, the... I don't even know how to start with that. I mean, well, it was that time where someone threw a bottle at you. And... Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So uh, if you're familiar with um, Party Rock Anthem from LMFAS, every day I'm shuffling, instead of the song continuing on after that, I just started playing a completely different song. And I think the crowd reaction in that moment, they were so into that moment to be disrupted from that. It wasn't good. Someone actually threw a glass bottle at the DJ booth at the same time. They were that uh, for want of a better word, pissed off that they were disrupted from their uh, their night. And I think, uh, I don't know, something just triggered there. And it's like, hang on, it's it's good to be disruptive a bit. And I think we just, yeah, we started finding entertainment uh, both. Well, act, to be fair, it started more as internal entertainment. So it's like, what, what can we do to have fun um, aside from what we normally would? And then hope some of that fun rubs off on the crowd too. It was interesting, the switch, because it started as us going, ha-ha, we'll do this for fun and everyone will hate us, to then going to the shows and people saying, so are you going to do it? Are you going to do it tonight? Are you going to talk about it? It's like, yeah. oh, I, th- I thought this was just for us and everyone hated it, but apparently not. A lot of the Australian music industry this year had planned to either hit the road in 2021, play their albums for the first time, or just release new music in general. And back in July, I had Troy Casadaly and Cold Chisel's Ian Moss drop by the studio with me ahead of their United Together Alone tour. And talk did turn to the pair teaming up to write music, their similarities beyond music and some lyrical profanities. When Ian was coming through Brisbane, I always wanted to try and catch him and say, I'd love to be able to get together and write a song. Because when you've known someone long enough, you know, it's time to sit down and have a strum and see what falls out of the sky, you know. And um, when he was on his way over, Ian said, oh, I might have to go back and get my acoustic. And I said, look, keep driving because where you're coming, there's going to be quite a few guitars. But I had an electric set up for him. And I thought, well, if Ian's coming to my house, I want to set up a little electric world where he sits so that we can look at each other and play off each other, just like we will on on stage. And and it was a good afternoon, Ian, to be able to sit and have a play. Um, So nice to hear your own gear sound like Ian Moss Mm -hmm. instead of it sounding like crummy old me. (laughs) And and it was just, you know, it it really is good. I thought I plugged him into some of my favourite pedals, but he still made it sound like himself. And that's where the song starts. And, you know, I wanted to write something that honoured our blue collar heritage as well, you know, Mm. because we've got a lot of people that have been hardworking people in our past. And that's where the song started pretty much with just a riff, you know. Mm. And how much of it? Did Ian inject into it? I know there's a swear word kicking around in that, which is not quite common, yeah, I believe. Mean. In fact, that was the only word I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, if you were one word. <laughs> yeah, we got into a bit of trouble, but I threw him under the bus. I said, you can sing that. <laughs> but but in the context of what we we're talking about, well, the world is on your shoulders, you mm. know, when you're in these situations, especially if you're working class as well. Mm. And when you hear it in conversation, it makes perfect sense. 
And um, so it, it, it was totally it needed to be in there. Yeah. And I think that when you when your song comes together like that, and then we got a chance to, when we, when we recorded it, it was really good to be able to actually sit in the same room and and go work off each other the way we did. And still in keeping with the cold chisel theme for a moment, also in July, Mr. Jimmy Barnes himself joined me on the green room via Zoom, chatting about his new album Flesh and Blood, Lockdown Discoveries, and the power of live music. If anything, it's 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 different. In, it's just in such a personal mode. I mean, um, the you know the songs obviously the songs themselves stem from from the sessions that we were doing on social media with Jane and myself, the, which we you know called the Jane Barnes Band, mm. uh, where and that started out just as um as simply as you know Jane and I we, we realized we we're going to be locked down at home and we thought we'd better do something keep ourselves entertained and uh, Jane said I'm going to learn guitar. And and she started learning. You know, she'd learn a song, and she'd say, "Oh, wait, can we sing this song?" And so we'd, we'd learn the song that she'd that she'd learned on guitar. And and she and she one day she said, "Why don't we put this up on on the internet? Just you know, reach out to people who are locked away." So we did this, and it worked really. It was a really nice thing, and people really responded, and they really appreciate the fact that we were thinking about them. But it became it took on another life uh, further down the track. It became a sort of a, a, a link, a, a, a connection for us to the world as well. So like we were trying to connect to people uh, for their sake, we connected for our sake in the end. And then and then it sort of rolled around again. And and I realized that, you know, after 40 years of being married and being in the one place, the, the, here we were uh, in lockdown doing these songs that were totally out of our comfort zones, just learning them as we go. And and it was finding it was making Jane and I connect in in a lot of ways. So so it made me think a lot about relationship and a lot about family and a lot about um you know love and 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 you know the and love love is a big broad word you know it's not mm. anybody that looked looked at our videos you know I mean there was a million comments saying how how beautiful it was and how you know you look at Jane and she loves you so much she's smiling at you and all this sort of stuff and but if you'd have seen the video a, a minute before you know when she was wanting to kill me <laughs> you realize that like, when you say love it's love is about work and effort and about and about it's not just all shiny and, and nice it's about it's about lots of different things in a way it's a good thing that we realize how important that that live music thing is to mm. to everybody music is like it's like it's like communion it brings us all together you know it's it's not not, not i'm not saying it's religious but it's that spiritual thing where mm. you get in a room um, and as a singer i get in a room and there's you know whether, whether it's 300 or, or 3000 or 30000 punters in front of you I'm I'm only as good as the people I'm singing to. You know mm-hmm. that audience makes me and lifts me and makes me a better singer and helps me get in contact with my soul more. Yeah. And I think that's what we do when we get into a room and listen to music together. We we experience some sort of you know spiritual. You know we 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 get together. And whether it's a, a punk band or a soul band or a bloody an acoustic act, that's what it is. It's about that that shared moment in time. Uh, and and it's it's a it's something that I I miss incredibly. I've you know I've toured non-stop for you know the last 40 years 45 years and so to have 15 months where we where we were sitting back you know i i, I took the took i took the time to learn a lot about my voice and learn a little bit lot you know a bit different singing to a, a zoom camera or to a mm. telephone but even in that i ended up sort of learning more about singing in this time so that i could bring it back to the table when i when i came back out and played live and i've done a, done a couple of warm-up shows and i and i really noticed i'm now using a lot of different aspects in my in my voice Whereas before I used to go out and all I wanted to do was pin everybody at the back of the wall. Yeah. I'm sort of, I'm doing now doing it a bit sneakier. I'm, I'm, you know, I get, I get up there and I can, I can, you know, win people, get them to drop the guards, then pin them to the back of the wall. And a band just slightly younger in years than Jimmy Barnes, but one still entirely beloved by fans and the industry alike. 
Brisbane group The Jungle Giants had a huge glow up once again in 2021 with their new album Love Signs covering everything from indie rock to dance and all things robust effervescence. And while the pandemic did undoubtedly change plans all across the board, frontman Sam shared how going from touring the world to being locked in Australia reset his gratitude and allowed for unexpected treats, including going helicopter fishing with rapper Illy. Totally going around the world. We were in Japan when we when we heard the news um, and then we just kind of like ran back home. But um, yeah, I feel like I, I mean, I'm a positive person and I, to me, I'm kind of like, I'm not really trying to compare then and now. I'm definitely, I miss international touring so much. Um, but I've kind of just changed my attitude now to just being extremely thankful for what I can have. Um, and I feel extremely lucky in Australia to be actually be able to play shows. Um, you know, I can't wait for us to get up these vaccines fucking sorted so we can actually, you know, not lose the boat, not lose the race with everyone else. But um, yeah, I mean, I, we've had relatively an absolutely rocking fucking COVID compared to other places around the world. And um, yeah, I can't wait to go back overseas. But I feel like I got, I've used this time to make the record. Um, I had extra time to finish the record, which I really needed. And we've luckily been playing heaps of shows, weirdly. Like we've been all over the place, um, even this year and um, towards the end of last year. Lots of like one-off festivals, but they've been sick. Like I was in Darwin a couple of weeks ago. Um, I played a really nice show. They have like really sick capacities there. It was like 16,000 people. And uh the day before I went helicopter barramundi fishing with Illy, which was like, Oh my wild. God. I didn't even know you could do that. But a friend of us like hooked up a helicopter. It had no doors. There's just this helicopter. You have your fishing rod and then you kind of just like the, the, the helicopter pilot would just look around and point where you could see fish. And then we'd land on this little beach, just like wild animals riding a mechanic Brumby. And then we jump out and we grab a beer and then just fish. It was like the best time ever. And I feel like I find maybe I'm seeing more of Australia than I ever had before because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a domestic guy now. Yeah. But we all are. And it's good to, good to get around Australia because it actually rules. Yeah, there is. There's so many places I haven't seen. I can't say like it feels like helicopter fishing with Illy sounds like some awesome new TV show I instantly want to watch. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the, the Jungle Giants. Helicopter yeah, like, with Illy and the Jungle Giants. Yeah, 10 out of 10 will watch that show. Can't wait for you to pitch yeah. it. And from fictional TV shows I'm making with bands, apparently, to actual TV performances, Aussie viral sensation Masked Wolf made his American TV debut on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon back in April this year, performing his monster hit Astronaut in the Ocean, which also went on to clock over a billion streams this year. But his down-to-earth nature meant that he breezed through the process even though it was a remote experience for obvious reasons. It's weird because I'm like, I don't get really phased by names. Um, I like, I try and treat everyone equally. You know what I mean? Like if it's Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Rogers from down the road, you know, like I give the same amount of honesty and the same amount of energy. But I mean, it was obviously weird doing it when you're in Australia and you can't be there in person. Like it's a different feel, but I mean, everything gets the same energy and gets the same effort from, from my end. Another band with American TV experience and even an American tour under their belts in 2021, Sydney Trio Middle Kids have played Jimmy Kimmel Live, CBS This Morning and The Late Late Show with James Corden in the past. But with a new album today, We're the Greatest, releasing earlier this year, I also grabbed some time with vocalist Hannah Joy just before the trio trekked off to the States. 
And this time with an extra important new member in tow, Hannah and bassist Tim's adorable toddler, Sunny. But how exactly were the band feeling before their imminent USA adventures and the journey to this point in time, considering we were all in lockdown when we were speaking? I mean, we can't believe it. Like we've kind of been like not even thinking about it because we're like, it'll probably just, you know, get cancelled or whatever. But it's happening. We're going three weeks. Um, We're so excited because we tend to spend a lot of time over there, like since we've kind of been a band. So we've even been there for almost two years, which is pretty nuts. Um, and just to like freaking play, like we were laughing because, you know, we can't see the other boys and like rehearse. We're going to be like, so shit. Cause we like haven't played for so long, <laughs> but we're like, maybe this will give us an, like an interesting edge in our live show, you know, a sloppy edge. No, it'll be fine. But, oh yeah. Um, yeah. We're, we're just like super excited. I think we're going to, you know, over like 20, almost like 25 states or something. Um, and this is the first time we're taking our little baby boy with us, which is like going to be interesting for sure. Um, but we're just like, we'll do anything, you know, just to play shows. And um, yeah, so we're very excited. I mean, we've never, like, we have just been like historically on the road, like, you know, probably average nine months of the year. And it's like, you know, we've almost been here like two years. <laughs> um, and there have been really cool things that come from that. Like you have a time to reflect and and then also envision like, you know, what and being quite intentional about like where you're wanting to go. And um, and I think that was like very helpful even for this album that just came out for us to kind of like be a little bit more thoughtful. Whereas like usually when we like release anything, it's like always between like this tour and it's just like madness or whatever um and then you know it's like oh cool I've got all this time to write but like it's been so interesting because I'm like discovering more and more that like I'm I'm like a very sensual person in that like a lot of my energy comes like through experiencing life through all my senses and like obviously it's like so limited at this point um whereas like you know so many other artists like all of all of the magic is inside them and they just need to look inside and it's there and I'm like there's not much there's not much in here like I need to look around and like just like you know grab it um I mean yeah it's like so I think it's been an interesting time of like having a lot of like the external well like pressures but then also like um energies like kind of being stripped away and then looking at like who am I as an artist and who are we and you know what do we want and I think it's like it's been hard in many ways, but I actually think it's been like really refining and um, helpful to kind of like make sure you like never lose your heart and like the soul of what you're doing because you can, you know, if you're just like going along and doing all the things, like you can just kind of like take the steps and forgetting like where you're trying to go and what you're trying to do. Another local artist who was facing a new album release in 2021 was none other than Greta Ray. But for Greta Ray, it was debut album territory, bringing her maturity well beyond her years and magical yet meaningful whimsy into her divine first studio album, Begin to Look Around. Amid hurdles of a COVID-19 pandemic and the general slog that generally comes with the territory to even get an album out in the world, pandemic or no pandemic, the hard and long yards were worth it for the incredible Greta Ray. Yeah, it feels... I've got to say probably more than anything else, it just feels really weird. I think it would probably feel weird regardless of what was going on, just because it's strange to have worked on something for so long and thought about it for most of my life. 
Um, and to now, like I have the vinyl, I can hold it as like a physical thing, which is crazy. And yeah, we're kind of like at this ending point in a sense, but then also this beginning point. And I think with the added feature of the global pandemic <laughs> happening all throughout the process, well, not all throughout the process, but for a lot of the process of trying to finish this album, it does feel certainly very strange to be in our fifth lockdown here in Victoria, you know, a month before this album comes out and there being a lot of uncertainty surrounding what I will and won't be able to do in order to promote it and to share it with people. So um, it's, yeah, it's interesting, but I think that I've definitely kind of reached a point now where whatever I need to do in order to get this album heard while kind of leaping over the little obstacles that are presented by coronavirus and lockdowns, et cetera, et cetera. I will do it for the sake of the music that I've worked so hard on and for my audience who is very patient and kind to me. I think with Begin to Look Around, the coolest thing for me about making this album was that when I started writing it, I didn't really know what it was going to become. I feel like that's often the case with making records, but especially because of the interruptions that we had um, because of what was going on. It meant that I was doing a lot of processing and, you know, I wanted to re-record vocals for demos that we had of the songs that we chose to be on the album. And by the time we got to do that, I would be in a different headspace when, you know, thinking about what I wrote the songs about initially. Um, And then when we were finishing production again, months later, like after I'd been kind of stuck in Melbourne, not being able to go to Sydney, because that was where I made the record, I would have changed my mind again. And so I do love, you know, it's finished product and what it's come to, but I definitely didn't set out being like, I'm going to make an album that's going to be about heartbreak. You would never, you know, I, I, the heartbreak happened while the album was being written. Of course. Classic. But also thank God, because it meant that I, I could write about it. But I mean, that, was it going to be about travel? I don't really know. Like what lessons am I going to learn that are going to appear within the songs? Like they're not things that I could have predicted, but I'm really happy that they happened because I think, yeah, to a T it is a, a very much a coming of age record. From first albums to albums that changed the game, another one of my Aussie Muso guests this year was none other than rapper 360, celebrating the 10th anniversary of his groundbreaking second studio album, Falling and Flying. Dubbed the hip-hop event of 2011, 360 aka Matt Colwell has since traversed and triumphed some significant personal hurdles, and he did spend some time to recall the moment that he knew they were onto something special during the making of Falling and Flying. Um, so I was, it was like a, a around a time where I was really obsessed with songwriting and um pop music was really influential as obviously with that album like I was I was getting into like all sorts of different tunes like the Beatles and even stuff like Lily Allen and Mike Snow and just all sorts of stuff and I was really really focused on writing complete songs rather than just writing good raps with kind of choruses and stuff like that and teaming up with someone like Styles who who produced the album and, and, you know, wrote it with me was, he was just perfect for that because like, I remember having the meeting with him when we were talking about working together and he was very hesitant because he, because of my background, he thought that I'd be wanting to come in and make like um, just a very Aussie hip hop album at the time. And he didn't want to do that. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Like I want to make something that's like bringing 
electro elements and all sorts of stuff. Like let's do stuff that has not been done. And we did like three songs and the first three songs we did, we were like, well, this is, we're onto something here. Like really, they really, there was something special to them. And um, Pez, at the time Pez had, had blown up with uh, the festival song and he had a meeting with EMI to, to discuss going forward label wise with him. And he was like, you got to play them, play them these songs in the meeting. And which is very selfless, you know, like going to a meeting for himself and then putting your mate on like that is, is really, really solid, you know? And they, they heard the songs and were just like, bang straight away they jumped on it and they were really really keen it was it was really cool they they actually wanted to market me as the uh male lily allen <laughs> oh my god i adore this <laughs> I was, oh that's so funny i was i was like that's that's maybe not that but you know <laughs> i respect it i respect it and closing out my Australian musician guests on the green room this year, it's rare for any band to survive and thrive amongst breakups, makeups, and life in the spotlight in general. But Aussie rockers, the Butterfly Effect, have defied all the odds, and they are more excited than ever to be writing new music once more together after reuniting for a reunion tour back in 2018, as their guitarist Kurt did explain to me last week. We got back together to have a before the that 2018 tour was the first time the four of us had been in a room for about six years. So it was obviously pretty thick with um, nerves. I wouldn't say tension. The tension wasn't there anymore. We'd all moved on and gotten over our um, differences. So, so it was, it was comfortable, but just the, it was, uh, there was a fair bit of, I guess, angst about the, not angst, anxiety about the, yeah, just about, and then we played and then I think we had three or four days booked. And it went that well that I went out and had a hell of a celebration. We had to cancel the last day's um, rehearsal <laughs> because I was, I was I was pretty comfortable with everything we saying because we have we have um, we have in ear monitoring when we play as well. So, which is the most honest thing you can have when you when you're um, playing live, even in the rehearsal room, we we use them. So, and uh, yeah, so it was it was very daunting. It was really daunting, and then we played and. It was fucking awesome. So I definitely, it was, yeah, it's been excellent. It's been really excellent. And the songwriting and everything is, yeah, just ever since then, everything's been yeah, fantastic. It's been unbelievable. It's, yeah, it's absolutely incredible considering there's quite a few there, quite a few years there where I think we all just went, well, well we've done that. It's over. Let's leave that behind. And then um, to come along and to get where we are now, I think it's just been, yeah, it's been awesome. Really awesome. We're stoked. I haven't been this excited about Butterfly Fat Music since, since two, probably since the demos of Amargo, our second record, and that was like 2005. So that's a very long time to be this excited about music. Stick around after this short break. We're about to enter the international music zone, revisiting green room moments with Sheehad, Tom Morello, Churches and many others. All that and more after this. This summer, Rewind with Steve Bell brings you two new oral histories of musical milestones. This month, you can join Paul Kelly as he takes you through the making of his Christmas anthem, How to Make Gravy. In January, Steve Bell sits down with Archie Roach to explore stories behind the recording of his milestone album, Charcoal Lane. 
Rewind reveals how your favorite music is created with the people who created it. You can listen to Rewind with Steve Bell on euphony.com.au or your favorite streaming platform. Rewind your summer. On the international side of things for my music guests on The Green Room this year, a fitting one to start with is technically an honorary Australian. Well, they're not actually Australians, but they're actually Kiwis. None other than she had, of course. And frontman John Tugwood joined me from an airline lounge early in the year to discuss the band's new album, Old Gods, and how it took the world falling apart somewhat to help ignite this latest chapter for the band. This is the first time we've taken seven years to write a record. Like literally what happened after Five Eyes was um, my wife and I had two children. And for the first time in my life since I was 18 years old, I had no desire to write any music at all. And uh, it just became all about the kids. But um, in the background, she had, were still meeting up every sort of once every six months, jamming up some music and just like, and I was just like storing it all up in the background and about year three into that process, I started getting, I mean, because I've got two children, right? And um, uh, my wife's Sudanese, right? So, um, which was totally random. Uh, my best mate happened to be a Sudanese national. And so we decided to have kids, got married. And then we had two kids, you know, biracial, really interesting, amazing, beautiful children. And, but in the meantime, in the background, um, You've got um, images of of people um, walking around with tiki torches in America, saying the Jews will not replace us, which is very reminiscent of, of you know, because I'm a big history buff, because um, <laughs> I think it really serves to know where you are, <laughs> to, to you know. So um, I just started to think, right, I've got two biracial children, and that's that's becoming mainstream again. It's like, I and then basically all this music made sense to me. After not making well, I liked the sound of it, but I, I just didn't have any words. And then, and then Australia caught fire for how many months there? About I don't know, four, three or four months. And again, that existential threat was there. And I'm thinking, man, what is the world I brought these kids into? And um, uh, and then lockdown happened in Melbourne, and it was just like uh, I just luckily for me. Um, uh, I've got a friend in a band called Body Jack Ham who owns a um, skateboard store within the five kilometer radius of my house. So uh, he let me use the basement of that place. And I just took all the Shehard music and got out four years, well, almost, yeah, four years of just going, what is happening in the world? And is this just me feeling like this world's gone completely mad? Um, and I, um, and I just had the space and just went boom and all these words came and all these songs came and it happened very naturally. I, I, I needed it for myself just to try and make sense of the world that we were sort of in. Another band renowned for their social commentary and also for their addictive take on melodic punk and hooky heaviness are Chicago's Rise Against. And back in early June, frontman Tim McElrath opened up about his creative and thematic processes alongside the journey to releasing a new album, Nowhere Generation. I never have a grand plan when I'm like tackling a record. I just start writing it. And then later on, when I take a step back from all the songs, all of like the motifs, you know, I mean, all the things that kind of tie the songs together, they start to pop out. And that's when I realize, like, oh, I've, I've been writing about this. I didn't realize I was writing about this, but these themes, this theme keeps popping up 
and all these songs kind of tying these songs together and that's when i realized like nowhere generation was like the anchor for all the songs um and i felt like it was something that, that wasn't being talked about a lot and i wanted to like sing about it and talk about it um was what a lot of young people are going through in a world that has normalized the idea that you can work full-time and still be poor you know that uh young people who are running the same race their parents did but like the finish line just keeps moving on them you know and the and their reactions to it are in a lot of ways being ridiculed you know like millennial has become a, a punchline you know and i felt like it was kind of like not a fair shake that people were getting and that i wanted to lend a more sympathetic ear to the plight of what a lot of people a lot of fans in the rise against community are going through you know and that's kind of where nowhere generation came from and then the more i thought about it and like wrote about it i realized like it's not even just younger people it's like people my age you know like people older than me like anybody who's trying to compete in a world of you know ever increasing disparity and concentrated wealth and the rise of the one percent all these things like anybody who's doing that they're they're feeling that they're feeling that weight and those fears and anxieties of what tomorrow is gonna look like still in america and still on the themes of connecting and making sense of the world jack antonoff the patron saint of pop who has worked as vocalist for steel train and as a producer for the likes of taylor swift lord and troy savan well he put out a brand new album earlier this year under his solo project monica bleachers Dubbed Take the Sadness Out of Saturday Night, Jack also parted the veil on what keeps him motivated amongst such a strenuous creative and professional output. I think it's a longing to connect. You know, I, I always think of songs or albums as these things that come from very deep part, parts of you, both the songs and the way they sound. You know, if you're doing it right, it's coming from a very deep place. And then this act of throwing it out into the world is almost like an act of faith of saying like, I think I'm alone, but I also have hope that some people out there might agree. And you're not looking for everyone. You're just looking for your people. That's that's what Bleachers is. That's what my audience is. If I'm making records with other people, that's what we're looking for. Like just your people. And so you throw these very personal, almost like messages and bottles out and you start to find people who haven't necessarily had your experience, but the way you articulate it and the lens in which your experience is how you see the world uh, through um, is something that they can see themselves in and then you feel less alone and then you're in conversation and then you're moving from one thing to the next and the context of this album is changed by th then then it's this big dialogue which is beautiful over in the uk the insanely talented rockers nothing but thieves put out a brand new ep this year dubbed moral panic 2 it was a continuation of their 2020 album moral panic and the 2021 EP explored climate change, digital anxiety, political chaos, and an overwhelming desire to switch off. But the new EP also gave the band a chance to flex their expertly sharpened stylistic flair, cleaving a whole range of genres that, on paper, shouldn't technically work. But in the hands of these schoolyard mates turned bona fide modern rock icons, well, the band excelled and even enhanced themselves further amid a pandemic, as their guitarist Dom explained to me back in August. We've definitely had it before where we've, we've finished the record and there were some songs that we felt weren't quite right for the main body of work, but as deluxe tracks, they could be their own thing. Whereas for Moral Panic 2, these were all brand new, fresh songs with developed ideas from the Moral Panic theme and 
we had kind of learned a lot from that process of recording moral panic so we were using a load of new techniques that we'd like use in terms of production so it had this kind of like it trail on from the recording process of of, of the album so that's why it feels like there's a cohesiveness between them um despite the fact they were recorded over a year apart from each other it was more we were still to us it was very fresh you know the, you hold on to the album for so long before it's released um but it didn't feel like there were heaps of time i just said heaps i've never said that. that's so australian isn't it heaps yeah, of oh, i love it you're more australian than i am <laughs> i know i can't believe i said that I need to, can you like bleep that out or something yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we can i'm sure we'll, 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 we'll <laughs> And another UK icon I got to spend some time with, the incredible Lauren Maybury, a.k.a. vocalist for Scottish synth poppers Churches. Now, Churches kicked total ass in 2021. They had a brand new album called Screen Violence, which not only boasted a collab with Robert Smith from The Cure, it also showcased some eye-opening exploration into who they truly are as a band as a result of lockdowns and isolation of all things. I kept seeing how it was the most similar writing process to the first Churches album because for better or worse we were in a vacuum like what is a band when nobody ever sees you or hears you or and you don't go and play shows and you don't do promo you, you're just in your house all the time like what is a band and a band is writing and I think I'm sure that everybody can relate to this but like I don't know I think last year really helped solidify for me that you'd we've wasted so much time in our lives and I've wasted so much time in my life caring about things I shouldn't have cared about or trying for things I shouldn't have been trying for so I think when it came to making music we were like what is the point of this if it isn't something that you are really proud of and you really 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 love it and I think in other times I would have been like oh don't try that that's risky don't do that don't put guitars on a church's album but I think that last year we were just like what's the point in doing anything if we won't do it in a way that feels authentic and honest so yes I'm glad of that yeah I just think because the third church's record it wasn't necessarily more pop in some ways but it wasn't like we were definitely trying to go for something that was much more direct and shinier in a lot of ways so I think when it came we knew that we'd done that and we enjoyed doing that and that was the time that we got a lot out of and I love that record but by the time we'd finished touring it we were definitely like okay there's enough sugar for now let's try something else you know so yes and I think that was a blessing in disguise in a way because if we'd been trying to make a super up super happy super shiny record during a lockdown I don't think that would have worked luckily we were already we'd already planned to make a record that was relatively dark and it just got darker as time went on. Dark themes and new sonic waters were entirely on the menu this year for Canadian legend Wade McNeil, who you may know for his work with English punk's Gallows and also post-hardcore juggernaut's Alexis on Fire. But in 2021, McNeil's new project Doom's Children scored a self-titled debut release. Half written while battling mental health and addiction issues and completed while in rehab, Doom's Children provided a pastiche of McNeil's journey from destruction to hard-fought recovery. And the end result was full of psych rock and some other unexpected genre flourishes. And it was also underpinned by McNeil's intention behind starting Doom's Children in the first place. I think music, you know, at, at the risk of sounding cliche, I think music can really save people's lives. And I think it's saved mine a variety of times. And, uh... You know, writing these songs and 
putting this together um, uh, was, I think, a way for me to, to work through a lot of uh, a very, very difficult spot in my life. And then also to continue to work on the record as I kind of came out of the darker parts of that and as I was kind of rebuilding things and uh when I was in a more sober and uh mentally healthy space is kind of where I finished the record and where I started the record was being very very depressed and uh kind of not even I don't know. I feel like the parties had stopped a long time ago, but it had been more of a, a like just a necessity of like getting through the day. And uh, so like, I felt like things were kind of falling apart around me. And, uh, and I think there's some songs addressing that on the album. And then there's some songs uh, like after I got clean and uh, kind of started finding some more hope again, I think that are, the kind of latter part of the album. And so uh, for me personally, it's, 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 a very, it's a very emotional thing to listen to. And I think it's gonna be a very emotional thing to play. But uh, I don't know, I just wanted to be very open with it. And especially lyrically, I tried to be very direct as well and um, not kind of hide things uh, metaphorically or uh, in a, more poetic sense i just uh kind of like brutally honestly came out with them and uh i'm very i'm very glad i did i think it was a very good experience for me um and uh and i hope it's it's that like very direct honesty that people can hopefully relate to it and take away from it well, my own personal music interview dreams came true back in October when I got to grab some time with actual real-life guitar hero Tom Morello. Best known for his work, of course, with Rage Against the Machine, Audio Slave, and Prophets of Rage, amongst many other adventures, Tom Morello put out not one, but two new albums this year and solo albums, The Atlas Underground Fire and The Atlas Underground Flood, which both boasted some insanely amazing collaborations of old and new friends. But it was on the Atlas Underground Fire that rock and roll dreams really came true, with Tom Morello teaming up with Pearl Jam's Eddie Vedder and the boss himself, Bruce Springsteen, for a cover of ACDC's rock anthem, Highway to Hell. And as Tom Morello informed me, the idea fittingly sprang to life right here in Australia. I was playing guitar in the Bruce Spring, with Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band in 2014 uh, in Australia. We were in Perth. Uh, the home of Bon Scott, the original singer of, of ACDC. And I went to go pay my respects to Bon's grave in late at night, it was about 11.30 at night. Uh, and I couldn't find his grave because uh, disappointingly, it's not marked with an eternal flame. You guys, people need to get on that. Um, show some respect. But so anyway, I couldn't find it. So a, a motorbike is coming out of the mist, mist in the graveyard at 11 o'clock at night. And it's a guy, sort of a heavyset guy with a German World War II army helmet and a t-shirt which reads, I don't give a shit, but if I did, you're the one I'd give it to. And I'm like, that guy is going to know where Bon Scott's grave is. So sure enough, he does. I pay my respects. I go back to the hotel. I see Mr. Springsteen. I'm like, Bruce, do you think that the spiritual world of ACDC and the spiritual world of the E Street Band might overlap in any way, shape, or form? He's like, I never really thought about that before, but I'll think about it now. So we started um, rehearsing Highway to Hell at Soundcheck the next couple of days. And 
we found ourselves in the Melbourne football stadium uh, night one and Eddie Vedder happened to be there. Uh, he was on a solo tour of Australia and it, you know, and I had an idea. I knocked on the Bruce's dressing room door. I said, we're in Australia where ACDC is king, where the song Highway to Hell is the unofficial national anthem of rock and roll liberation. What if, what if we open the set with Highway to Hell with Eddie Vedder singing along with you? And he was like, that sounds like a pretty good idea. And we did. And it was an apex moment in the history of live rock and roll. People lost their minds. So during this time of absolute isolation, where the idea of a mosh pit or of a connection or of a stadium going crazy felt like an impossibility, I wanted to try to, to, to capture some of that lightning from that night where it felt like we were living as turned up as people could possibly live. And you know, so I made the track, sent it to Bruce and Eddie. Unfortunately, they were down. Two of the greatest rock and roll singers of all time singing one of the greatest rock and roll songs of all. And while we're on the topic of collaborating, another prolific artist from the heavier side of the tracks also unveiled a brand new album this year, bustling with fresh and some unexpected collaborations. Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes unleashed their new album, Sticky, earlier this year, complete with features from the likes of Joe from Idols and Links to name a mere few, but they did also snag a feature from Primal Scream frontman Bobby Gillespie. But the road to securing Gillespie on the album wasn't exactly without some hurdles, as Frank Carter explained to me earlier. And then outside of that, Bobby Gillespie from Primal Scream, who's like, come on, the guy's a fucking living legend. Like, he's, 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 a, he's an icon to me and to Dean, you know? And I met him at an art exhibition like years ago. My friend, my friend Jake Chapman had an art exhibition and I'm, and I met Bobby there. I remember saying to him, like, look, I would love to work with you. I'd love to do something with you. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm too busy. And I was like, cool. Like, I was just, 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 he was just like, he was just no bullshit. Like, like, yeah, that'd be nice, but no, kid. Do you know what I mean? And, and put me in my place. And I was like, fuck, all right, cool. And, um, and he was like, but, you know, like, in the future, maybe. Like, and he was just so cool about it that I just... He, he just shut it down but didn't make me feel bad about it which I, I love him for forever and then and then and then we wrote this song and I just you know and I just thought I've got I've got to ping it to him and I just had this urge to send it so I sent it to him and he just loved it and honestly Tana I've never had a day like that in the studio the guy is fucking dripping cool he's just effortlessly cool walks in the studio, just listens to the song, he's like, oh, I'm not really sure this is for me. You know? <laughs> so I'm like already like, oh what? my God, you invited Bobby Gillespie down and he didn't like the song. And I was like, oh, we've got this other one, we played that, and we played it to him, and he's like, oh, okay, I'll give it a go. And he, and he's like, oh, he gets in there and he's like muttering away over the, over the thing and he's like, I need some paper and a pen. So I just frantically like scoop up anything and give it to him. And he's like, um, and he just writes this stuff. And he just wrote half the song, like on the spot. And it's like, the lyrics are brilliant. And then and then he basically just was like, he came in and listened twice. And he's like, yeah, I like it, cool. You, you guys like it? And we're like, yeah, it's like incredible. We're gonna finish our album. Yeah. Like, he's like, oh, that's cool, that's really cool. All right, cool guys, yeah, see you later. And he just like, kind of just floated in and floated out of the studio and like in the middle of it just left this absolute like pure rock and roll like the spectre of rock and roll just stayed there and did this thing and um 
and then he and then he left and I and I was like I just went in and I like, scooped up all the lyrics and I was like these I was like I took them home. I was like they're coming with me like I'm I'm gonna frame them and put them on my wall. <laughs> Still speaking about some legendary UK artists, Duran Duran are a band who have continually ridden the waves of industry shifts and stylistic evolution since the so-called second British invasion of the US amid the rise of the MTV generation. It has certainly been a fair bit of time now since Girls on Film spiced up MTV, but in 2021, Duran Duran are a band who have continually forged ahead to challenge themselves personally and stylistically while also stumbling on the secret to longevity as a band as bassist John Taylor shared with me. We've all got friends, couples that have been together seemingly forever. And you know, when they break, you know, and if, when they break, really knock you, you know, it's like, oh my God, we thought, we thought Bob and Jesse were gonna be together forever, you know? And it shakes you up because it almost like your togetherness, you know, you know, seems somehow connected to their togetherness. And suddenly Bob's on his own and running around and he's got a new girlfriend. And you're like, hey, hang on a second. Maybe I want a new girlfriend. <laughs> so, so, you know, I think that there's a <laughs> there's to some degree, there's a responsibility um, to <laughs> society to stay together. You've got to have a really fucking good excuse to break up is my point. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, I mean, we've been through periods where I'm like, you know, yeah, I'd like to play with a different drummer and I'd like to have a blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, these dudes are like the best dudes you could possibly want to work with on a daily basis. I've looked and I can tell you that for a fact, they're an amazing (laughs) bunch of guys. And for all the shortcomings, you know, nobody's perfect. They're an amazing bunch of guys to want to like go back in Let's write another song together. How about we're we going to write a fast one today, or we're going to try and write another ballad that makes people cry? You know, <laughs> what is it that we're going to do? You know, and, mm-hmm. and and are we going to go on the road? You know, how do we feel about going on the road? Do you want to play clubs, or should we try to go? Should we do a big show? Blah 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 blah. You know, and a lot of it is about a lot of. <laughs> Honestly, you know, you ask what the secret sauce is about staying together and it's just not breaking up most of the time. You know, it's just not <laughs> breaking up. You know, I like to say, step, step, away from, step away from the detonator, Mr. Taylor. And closing out my international music guests from 2021, a band who have infused their own unique journey into art and now into the podcasting world too, are Pop Rock Ithaca Quartet X Ambassadors. Recently releasing a new album, The Beautiful Liar, frontman Sam Nelson-Harris has also jumped into creating an audio drama series of the same name to accompany the album, which focuses on a blind teenage protagonist. And it was inspired by Sam and his brother bandmate Casey's experience growing up, with Casey being legally blind since birth. This is a band who have gone on to tour with Imagine Dragons, Panic at the Disco, and also feature on a song with Eminem. But it wasn't always smooth sailing, especially in their early gig days, as Sam explained to me back in November. Uh, I, I mean, I remember this show that we played. I think the first show that we did in New York together was at the old Knitting Factory. And it was for, it was like a CMJ show. I don't know how we got on this bill as one of our first gigs, but it went horribly. My brother got so frustrated with his keyboards that he literally like kicked them over and they flew into the audience and uh and it wasn't like cool it wasn't like people weren't like fuck yeah like break your shit it was like oh he's mad (laughs) you know and and uh uh it was just that it was it was always such a struggle those early those early shows you know because 
you could never hear yourself. It was always, uh, it was always a struggle on stage and, and you're, you're performing your heart out to try and win people over. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody cares. Um, you know, and then on top of that, you have, you have a member of the band who's blind. So, you know, like we're trying to help Casey navigate through these dark crowded rooms with his, he's like carrying his giant keyboard in one hand and an amp in the other. And like, you know, uh, we're like, excuse me, 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 excuse me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was like, uh, every show felt like going to war, you know, it really did, but we were young and, and hungry and, and, you know, it, when it felt good, it felt fucking great. Um, and we wanted it more than anything. Um, but yeah, that first show, man, I remember, I, it was either there or at this place called Goodbye Bloom Mondays in, in Bushwick, which was a bar that was right below our practice space. And I think that was like a, a benefit gig for a, a, a play that I was in. We passed a hat around. And uh, it, was like, it was like me and the band and then some of my castmates and that was pretty much it. <laughs> so we were all just like paying ourselves. Yep. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of part one of the Green Room 2021 wrap-up. I hope you've enjoyed the trip down music memory lane with my guests and myself so far. And part two of this special is actually available right now, so great news for people who like to binge back-to-back episodes. And in part two, I'll be going through some of the actors and comedians I've had on the show this year, a look back at the two-part COVID-19 music industry roundtable that myself and 16 music industry experts recorded back in August, Plus, there's a little lightning roundup of one of my staple green room questions. You'll just have to grab a listen to find out, but it's very fun. Catch up on part two, as well as any episodes of the green room you may have missed. You can head on over to euphony.com.au to find out more or check out the green room with Tiana Speeder on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for tuning into part one of the green room 2021 wrap up extravaganza. In the meantime, why not get comfy and join me in part two? I will be waiting over there right now with guests like Hans Zimmer, Auntie Donna, Emily Hampshire, and that's what I reckon to name a few. I will hopefully see you there. Thanks for listening. Tiana Speeder is a euphony podcast created by Craig Trewick, produced by Tiana Speeder and Andrew Mast, hosted by Tiana Speeder, recorded, edited, and engineered by Zig Parker. Music by Zig Parker.